why am I here and why are we here? I mean, these are the fundamental questions I think that need to be need to be solved in terms of the understanding what equals the, the, the believing is about what do we believe even more important how do we shape belief in others hey there and welcome to the tribe of leaders podcast i'm your host emmy kirshner i'm a serial entrepreneur investor and business coach for ambitious women who are boldly taking their business to the next level And I believe that building a successful business isn't about working 24-7 just to merely meet a revenue goal. What it does take is a unique blend of dedication to purpose, courageous action, and frequently sheer will to overcome the odds that lead to meaningful impact and experiencing a life well lived. In each episode, you'll get to know the women and men who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of success and failure that have made them incredible leaders and the magic they gift the world with. As you're listening, and I hope finding value, don't forget to share the Tribe of Leaders podcast with all of your other entrepreneurial friends and to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hey Tribe, in the last couple of months, I've had a number of guests come on and talk about leadership and how the the role of leadership is finally becoming more humane and we're building businesses that are more human-centric. And today's guest is similar in that he too is going to be talking about how leadership is changing and how we can build better businesses. But his take on how to do that is profoundly different and um, his name is Ralph Specht. He's actually the former um, founding partner of Spark 44. And one of the things that's so amazing is that they experienced incredible rapid growth successfully in a really short period of time. And I, I have to say, I so enjoyed talking to him. I learned so much. It's given me a couple of things to take away and implement in my business and help my clients. Um one of which is really identifying what your the corporate soul is. And he has a framework for that, which you can find in his book, Building Corporate Soul, um, or on his website, which I highly recommend you go and visit um, both. And you know what? I'm just going to keep this short and let let Ralph speak for himself. Is This was so much fun. And as I said, so much value for me. And I hope that you will find this to be the same for you. So enjoy. Hey, Ralph, I am really looking forward to our conversation today. Um, your book, Building Corporate Soul, just speaks to me um, because I think all of business should have far more soul than it does. Um, and before we dive into that, please share with everybody a little bit about who you are and what was what, what made you want to write the book um, to begin with. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Emmy, <clears throat> to be on your show. I, I, it's a pleasure and an honor. And um, yeah, building corporate soul. I mean, the word soul touches people, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's something that I've got as a feedback over and over again that people uh, say, well, what do you really mean by soul? And why did you choose soul? And uh, well, I chose soul because that was the um, the thing that crossed my mind when 
the idea came up to write this book. And the idea came up when I stepped down as CEO of Spark 44, an industry-first joint venture of Jaguar Land Rover, which we had grown from four offices and 80 people back in 2011 to um, 19 offices and 1,200 people across the world uh, by the end of 2019. When I left, um, lots of people shared their messages and farewell notes with me. And that's nothing special, I think, because that's pretty much what you would expect. I think what was different here was the was the tone and the content of these messages. And um, I mean, I've, I've got a few quotes here so that you get a sense of what uh, people wrote. So uh, some uh, someone wrote, but because of you and all the trust you had on me, we made it. So you are the kind of leader that makes us accomplish things that we don't even know we are capable of. Or the way you trust your team is something that will keep in my heart as an inspiration for my entire life. Um, and again, someone, I've accomplished things that I never thought I was capable of. So you've given me the trust on the dance floor. And those, and, and there's been many more. But, right. um, but I think when you, when, you, when you listen to those or read those, you can understand why when I thought I've got two choices here, I can leave them on my iPhone and look at them in a sentimental moment every now and then and feel good about kind of the, what we have achieved. Or actually share the lesson with the world. And that's kind of how Building Corporate Soul came about. Um, and the idea was to write a book about how you build a culture with soul, a company with soul. Um, what does it take? What's the framework that's required? And, and celebrate other companies as well who have done a lot of things right. And uh, so that's kind of how 300 pages filled up within the next few months after making that decision. <laughs> I love that. And I have a whole bunch of thoughts going on in my head. Um, to me, it's a natural progression, I guess, of like the organization because it's made up of humans. Like I think for a long time, we've looked at things as and work being devoid of feelings and, um, and emotion, but humans are emotional beings. So of course the organization is going to have a soul to it and how you create that and expand it and, and then create something within the organization that has a, a ripple effect positively just seems natural. But I think a lot of people are really just catching on to it. So I'm, I'm curious too, what um, the difference for you is between corporate culture and corporate soul, because a lot of people talk about culture and it, to me, it has some similarities, but the soul has more depth. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, I mean, every company has got a corporate culture. Um, no matter if they, they reflect on it, think about it, plan for it, design it, orchestrate it, or whatever, you can't have a company without a culture. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that every company has got soul. Um, and, uh, and that was the question that I was, um, uh, well, working on researching uh, for and, and, and studying lots of examples and, and having quite a few interviews with leaders um, who established something like so. And I think to me, um, I, I basically designed a framework for, um, for, for building corporate soul and it's got three levels. The first level is purpose. 
Mm. We've had purpose discussions for the last 15 years, and I've been part of many, uh, many companies about uh, kind of figuring out their purpose and, and, and so on and so forth. And very often I left those discussions in a, in a disappointed way because we spent, I don't know, days, weeks, sometimes nights on uh, crafting that purpose statement. And uh, I'd say the majority of them were pretty good, sound statements. But then um, the buck stopped there. It wasn't like, okay, we got it. Now we, we put up a nice PowerPoint uh, deck for the town hall and we put the words behind the receptionists and that's kind of it. And that's why uh, in my model, I, I'm not talking about purpose just as purpose. I'm talking about the shared purpose. And right. Shared, shared by the entire leadership team, the executives, but also shared with all the stakeholders of the firm, uh, predominantly the, the employees, because if they don't get it, you ain't got no choice about it. Um, uh, so, so shared purpose is the starting point, and then uh, we'll get to shared understanding, um, which has got the three usual suspects, vision, mission, values. And I've added a fourth one, which I think is ultra critical when you think about building mm-hmm. a company with soul. And that fourth one is what I call spirit. And to me, spirit is the intended culture. And uh, I can give you an example later on. Uh, LinkedIn is, I think, the perfect example because uh, they got it right. Um, and they got it right from the get-go. They figured it out in the early 2000s. I think 2004 was when they established their framework. And it has held, uh, held true up to this day, which I think is remarkable. And uh, so the third level are the shared behaviors. And the shared behaviors are all about how companies act. So you get two strategic uh, levels, shared purpose, shared understanding. And then, as people in the automotive industry would say, the rubber hits the road. Um, what are the behaviors that are actually happening inside the firm? And are they true to those principles that you've laid out in your shared purpose, in your shared understanding, or not? And if they do, I think companies have a real chance of building a company with soul. Uh, because if you achieve integrity between those three levels, you're pretty much there. Um, and it's a tough one um, yeah, because it's, it's a job that never stops, um, but it's ultimately rewarding as those uh, messages show that I, that I received as I was standing up. Yeah, I mean, it, the messages that you receive are amazing, not only because you receive so many of them, but like there's one that emotion again that. Um, they're really like those people are happy and fulfilled and feel like they're contributing to something that's outside of themselves at a time where people are resigning all over the place, at least in the States. And there's a lot of frustration about how to find better fluidity between work and everything else. Absolutely. And, and um, I mean, when you talk about that, that, that uh, situation that people are leaving in spades um, like we've seen in the last two years. And uh, it's not just the US, I think it's pretty much the world over. Um, I think there's a very simple reason for it. There's a McKinsey study from end of last year, which basically looked at the way employers and employees uh, think about the reasons why they, employees are leaving. And the employers said, well, there's, they get more money, they get the promotion. 
eventually there might be a health issue uh, and they're concerned, but that's not at all what drove the decision with the employees. That doesn't mean they're not happy if there's a bit more, more money involved, but the driving force for the employees has been, I don't feel any sense of belonging, I'm not valued by the organization, I'm not valued by my manager. And so when you look at the model of shared purpose, shared understanding and shared um, behavior, uh, you can simplify that model even further and say, well, shared purpose is about the being of an organization. Mm-hmm. Shared understanding is about the believing um, what the organization is about. And shared behavior is about the belonging. And if, if you're a leader, you better ask yourself a few, uh, a few questions. So in terms of the being, the shared purpose, <clears throat> the questions I think are, why am I here and why are we here? I mean, these are the fundamental questions I think that need to be need to be solved. In terms of the understanding, equals the, the, the believing is about what do we believe. In. Even more importantly, probably how do we shape belief in others? Mm-hmm. You know, belonging side is what does it feel like to belong here? Because as you quite rightly said, it's about an emotion. How do I feel when I'm going to work or in a hybrid uh, uh, version or working from home? How does all, how, how does it feel to belong here? And how do we create belonging for others? Um, yeah. If you have answers to these six questions, we're in a good place. But most people haven't. No, no, and. Like I'm a big missions um, or mission vision value person. Like I love doing those exercises and getting clarity because they help me make decisions and they drive um, not only my company, but they help my clients as well. But it's doing all of that work and then actually implementing it consistently and using it are two different things. So I would think even adding in spirit, how do you take kind of that initial thought process and get buy-in from the rest of the team, the rest of the company. Yeah, and, and um, I mean, getting the buy-in, um, I think there's, there's two levels. I mean, there's the, there's the, 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 the superficial buy-in. Everybody says, yes, yes, because I have to run to another right. meeting to get, get, get through this. Okay, you think this is what it is, then let's, okay, I'm fine. But that's not the buy-in that helps you uh, uh, create a great culture. That's the buy-in that gets you through your daily uh, requirements and necessities and, and, and all of these things. But when you really want to take this to the next level, it needs to be um, a buy-in that comes from deep within. And because that's the only way also that you can build the credibility uh, versus your folks the employees, the suppliers, the communities, all the stakeholders, actually. And when you look into it, I mean, there's the um, Gallup uh, Institute did, did, a, did a survey earlier this year, and, and they said, so what are the outcomes, actually, the business outcomes of great cultures? And then, uh, whether it was um, customer satisfaction, uh, profits, uh, revenues, everything was up between 10 and 21%. Um, so... I think it is the conversation that HR leaders need to have with their CFO. Uh, but in order to have that conversation, uh, HR leaders need to speak the language of the CFO mm-hmm. to make sure that they really understand each other and not talk, talk, but uh, actually don't achieve the level of comprehension that's required to, to, to move to the next level. Yeah. And how do you communicate that to, say, somebody in the mailroom or... Uh, entry-level admin person? Yeah, I mean, 
Um, another great study, uh, Purpose Power Index, just came out, I think, a week or two ago. Um, and one of the interesting examples in there was, was a, um, um, a question that was asked whether um, people uh, are actually thrilled by the purpose of their company. And um, senior management was about like 70-ish percent um, thrilled by it. It was good. Uh -huh. Middle management was like, I think, upper 50%. But then you get into frontline workers and uh, junior staff that was all below 50. And so if you if you start thinking about that, uh, you see where the problem lies. It's, it's actually making it happen. And you can make it happen in a somewhat easy way if you've got more uh, soul system basics sort, sorted out. If you've got a clear purpose, then you talk about it. I talked to one CEO uh, well, a few weeks back, and, and I said, so what's the one thing that you really hate about all of this? And he said, well, actually, repetition, repetition, repetition. You have to repeat it every day, again and again and again, <laughs> like, like a broken record. But there's no other way, and there isn't any other way. So you you got to do it. Yeah. And and uh, um, over time, you will you will see that people understand it. But it's not just the repeating the words. It's also um, delivering the actions that are connected to those words because then people will really believe. If they experience it and, and not only hear it but see it, um, they build the trust that leaders are really serious about this and, 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 and uh, it's not just lip service and, and fancy words on a, on a, on a poster. Yeah. Um, I so agree with you and I'm laughing because I used to speak more than I, I um, have any time in the last couple of years. And I would tell the same stories over and over again um, because they resonated. And a lot of people um, heard the same stories over and over again. I'm like, aren't you tired of hearing? You know, and they're like, no, we love it. But that's part of what drew them to me also was that repetition. And I can only imagine that hearing the same stories, the same communication from the leadership team on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly basis would also help develop that relationship um, and, and yeah. motivation. And, and it builds trust and you have to earn trust, as we all know. Yeah. And, and I mean, um, and you need to start with that when things are all right, because as we all know in business, Things might be all right today, but they might be very difficult tomorrow. And uh, I mean, the best example I think for for companies that um, for a company that had built that bank of trust um, co compared to another company that didn't was last mm -hmm. year uh, when better when the better.com scandal happened about firing 900 people, 25 percent of the population um, via Zoom call, and that made press headlines all over the world. But uh, 15 months before that, another company uh, had let 25% of their people go. And it wasn't just 900, it was 1,600. Um, and when I bring up the name of, the, of that company, everybody looks at me like, really? Because it, it didn't hit uh, the headlines anywhere, except like a small little thing in terms of update, uh, company updates. And that was Airbnb. And the, and the one reason why the one made the headlines and the other one didn't 
was because Airbnb's um, uh, approach to that mass layoff was actually rooted in their purpose and, and in, in the way they had prepared the company itself uh, for that moment. Because obviously, when COVID hit, it was inevitable that that it, it would hit any hospitality company. Um, so. Um, they did it in a way that you would think, okay, yeah, I mean, sometimes these things happen and, and nobody likes them, but if, if they happen, uh, make it happen in a way that uh, nobody leaves with a trauma. Uh, no, neither those guys that have to leave nor the ones that, that uh, are going to stay because for mm-hmm. them it's, it's equally a challenge if like their, their best colleague uh, has to go and and uh, and they don't necessarily understand all the reasons why and that's what the Airbnb guys did perfectly. Awesome! I you know I didn't even um, I don't even think I knew about it. So yeah. And, and the only reason is because their entire communication strategy, but also the the way they dealt with the employees. I mean, in the book, um, I got permission to actually. Uh, copy paste the entire letter of Brian Chesky in, in, into the book because to me is one of these documents that will ideally be taught at, at MBA programs because that's the way you do it mm-hmm. if you have to do it um, but you can only do it if you've done your homework before and it's like you got to be clear about your purpose you got to be clear about uh, your mission vision values and the spirit um, and, and not just on paper but in, but in real life yeah yeah I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, I'm curious because you um, had said in the little intake form that I have that starting a company from scratch and convincing potential employees to join a firm that does not yet exist is an experience of a lifetime. Um, it is. <laughs> I love, there's a couple things there that I love because one, I want to hear the experiences of the lifetime, but using the word convincing it wasn't bringing people on. It wasn't like, you know, kind of doing the sales pitch. It was convincing. So what made it so challenging to get people to build this company with you? And then and then you had really fast growth very quickly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, when we got the green light for the uh, joint venture, I think that was the middle of February in, in, in 2011. And... Um, we were all excited when they when 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 our joint venture partner said, "Well, thumbs up, let's 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 go for it." So there was that moment of joy. But like thirty seconds later, um, the uh, there was an additional remark, which meant we have to be uh, operational globally on June first. Okay, so that's middle of February and June first. That's fast. That is fast, and so. Um, Okay, so when we left the building and at the conference room and went back to the hotel and, and uh, had a drink at the bar, we were like, okay, <laughs> now let's get it, let's get into gear, let's get to work. And <clears throat> you have to imagine, I mean, I mean, I, I, I took it to, I made the choice uh, at that time because to me, um, I had been uh, working with McCann Erickson and McCann Work Group for, for 22 years. So, um, Obviously, the easy choice would have been um, trying to poach kind of uh, people that I knew and, and so on and so forth. But to me, the the decision to um, be part of this startup and be one of the co-founders uh, actually um, included the decision 
to start something new from scratch. And therefore, I thought you can't start something new um, with the people that you've been working with um, for whatever the last five, six, seven, eight years. And hence, I refused to take uh, anyone except my personal assistant at the time um, um, with me. And so uh, we had to recruit in four offices. Each office had to um, was scheduled to be like a 20 people operation. Um, so I had to, had to find 20 people or 18 people within a few weeks. And all of these people had had jobs. They were different levels of seniority. And um, so you talk to people and, and, and reach out to people. Uh, we didn't use um, headhunters or anything like that. So it was basically working through um, LinkedIn and, and, and the German equivalent of that to identify people with the right skills and, and, and having all these in, interviews. And I mean, beyond the startup, uh, the second book, <laughs> I described that, that, that situation. Uh, obviously, we didn't have an office, right? We even were, we weren't even founded as a company yet because all of that was happening in, in parallel. And uh, so all the interviews took, took place in a coffee shop. And uh, um, just by coincidence, the, the first 15 of all the of, of, of all the people that I was interviewing were women. And uh, so I, I went into the coffee shop early in the morning, eight o'clock, and, and had like two or two interviews, then then two or three over lunch and two or three in the evening. And the same thing happened for a few days because uh, it was like 30, 40 people that we looked at. And um, in the evening of the first day, the owner of the coffee shop approached me and uh, said, so, I mean, I haven't seen you here before and, and now you've been here the whole day more or less and it's great. We, we appreciate your business and, and the coffees and teas and what have you. But I've seen you having all these conversations with those women. But what what, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, so beyond the challenge of uh, finding the right people, there was an extra challenge that came that came with it. And obviously, when, once he understood, it was all fine. But uh, yeah, um, but it was something that I did never th- think of. But he was like, "What's going on here?" No, but also, I mean, um, I think when you're hiring for a startup. Um, and that, that, that came through very, very quickly through these interviews. Um, I actually saw two buckets of people, two groups of, 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 of people. There, were, there, was a, there was one group of people, which were the ones who actually made it, um, who felt the opportunity to shape their own job descriptions was uh, something they, they had always wanted um, to do. And there was another group of people who were actually scared by... I have to write my own job description. Uh, obviously, I mean, we gave them context of what, what the position was, but um, uh, to really write it as we were growing or starting uh, to grow was something they weren't comfortable with. And so um, that was actually the uh, make it or break it question um, in, in, in the interview. And, and uh, we were happy. I think we had a 90% uh, uh, rate on, uh, on the people that joined that actually uh, stayed with us for for quite a while. Okay. Do you remember like how many people you had to um, convince to work with you to build that initial team? Because your team was pretty small initially, right? Yeah. We, I mean, we had like four offices, 20, 20 people each. Yeah. The, I mean, we had one big advantage, obviously. Um, so uh, we were on a mission. 
uh, yeah. as you could say, we was about re revitalizing the Jaguar brand. And that was something, it was a brand that uh, sparks many um, reactions and, and many emotions, not just with car enthusiasts, but pretty much with everybody. Everybody's got, 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 got an idea about it. And uh, being part of revitalizing something of that uh, nature has been something that has been very, very um, um, well, impactful, actually, for, for these conversations. So that helped a lot. Uh, but still, I mean, you're talking to someone who's been, I don't know, seven, eight years in, in whatever uh, position, and you're now saying, well, we're going to open an office, and when by the time you're joining, we have an office, and I can tell you where it is, but right now, it'll be in the city. We don't know yet, um, and, um, and, and, and all of the above. So uh, you're dealing with a lot of uncertainty, and, uh, and, and you have to be able to, um, well, share a sense of credibility and, and conviction that this is real. Um, and, and this is not just real for this interview. It's all it's going to be real when people are joining right? and for the years to come. So uh, that is very, very different compared to um, your whatever uh, a team lead in a 5,000 people organization that has been around for 68 years and, and you've been right. in the company for eight years and you've got your team and your office and you're not thinking about, okay, why do we, uh, how do we get coffee in the morning and, and all of these, everything is done, is, 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 is made up for you. And, and when you're opening a, a company or starting a company, none of this exists, right? You've got to build it yourself. And, and, and uh, some people enjoy this and others are scared by it. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm thinking about it and I'm sure some people were concerned, like, all right, there's no office. So like, will I actually have a consistent paycheck too? Yeah, exactly. Is that and, real? <laughs> yeah. So it's like some of it I would think is, is what's their risk tolerance. Um, yeah. Mine's typically pretty high. So I would have been like, cool. <laughs> Are we going to have fun? <laughs> No, but I think that, that there's been an article that uh, in, in the Harvard Business Review, I think two or two, two or three years ago, by Ranjay Gulati, and and um, it was titled "The Soul of a Startup." Mm -hmm. And and when I when I when I saw that article, I, I thought, well, this guy has got it. I mean, he really fully understood what what's what it's all been about. And and uh, he wrote, he said. Um, there's an essential intangible something in startups and energy is soul. It inspires people to contribute their talent, money, and enthusiasm and fosters a sense of deep connection and mutual purpose. And I think that's everything in two sentences. It's, it's exactly that. And, and it makes all the difference. Uh -huh. uh, and, and as you grow your company, uh, your biggest challenge uh, is to actually maintain that spirit. Because um, this is so, you can you can lose it so easily. So I mean, we grew from those four offices, twenty people, eighty people in total across the world, to two hundred fifty and six offices in three four years, um, pretty organically. But still, it was like three times. And uh, the organization was initially set up um, well to support the Jaguar brand. And Jaguar, the brand Jaguar belongs to Jaguar and Land Rover, mm -hmm. and. Uh, the idea had always been to open the business up for other brands, but obviously we, our joint venture yeah. partner, was keen that this was a robust business for them in the first place, and then anything else is fine. But let's make sure it works in the first place for us. And as we all agreed this, that we were ready to do this, they said, "Well, we actually think 
you're really ready to do this. But before you go outside, let's please take the, the, the Land Rover brand. And so there was basically uh, history repeats itself. So I, I told you it was like from February to June 1st, um, mm-hmm. four offices, 80 people. And now it's been from, I don't know, somewhere in March to July 1st, uh, adding 500 people and opening 10 offices wow. uh, around, around the world. So pretty much the same thing, but at a different level. Yeah, exponentially. So what did you learn from that? Because there's a nimbleness that startups have that allow them to move quickly and grow quickly. And I think that gets harder as the company gets bigger. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we were on the one hand thrilled when it happened on the other one right. on the other hand scared uh, whether we could maintain our culture and and even one of our clients at the time said uh when when the, when the decision was taken he said your company will be different in in six months and and he was right and uh, so we had the luxury actually or the or the benefit that as we were uh, supporting the jaguar brand globally there were many markets like Japan or Korea or, or Spain and what have you, mm-hmm. where uh, we had uh, like a point person, but not, not an office. Uh, and so, um, and, and those people had been with us like for two or three years. Um, and and uh, I mean, the way I looked at it, and it, it worked out that way at the end, was, well, you know, we have got all these people they've been around for two three years they, they there also comes a time when uh, we can't offer them anything new it's like your repetition repetition things like right you can do it so many times but there's, there's there comes a time when it's like enough is enough so i was like okay they have developed they have matured they're, they're more senior than when they started and there were some and uh, that that could actually uh start running an office and so uh, because our commercial model was very clear and straight so it was kind of easy in a way to become a general manager of a, of a smaller office and so that's what we did and that uh, actually allowed us to um, not press pause on culture but actually push fast forward for all these offices. And we had two offices where we didn't have that person. So we had to hire from outside. Mm-hmm. One, we were really lucky and, 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 and we, we found the great guy and, and it was perfect. Another one, we were actually not lucky at all. We, we, we took the wrong decision and we were clear about the wrong decision two weeks after the, the, the person had actually started. Um, and so we closed this very soon uh, and had to find somebody else again in order to make it work. And, and, and so, um, why did it work? It worked because um, our purpose w- was very clear to everyone. Uh, they had people had lived the culture. They knew kind of uh, uh, how the culture would manifest itself, yeah. and they were capable of uh, spreading the word with uh, their new uh, team members and colleagues and, and 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 staff of their smaller offices. We put our offices between, let's say, fifteen and forty people. So. Still quite something, but um, uh, it's a different story compared to running a 200 people office. Amazing. And it says a lot to me, at least, about how the theory of the whole system, soul system, really works. Because you wouldn't be able to scale that quickly if it didn't. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, when you hire 500 people in uh, in, in, three months, three months more or less, 
um, you're not taking 500 perfect decisions. Um, uh, uh, the bigger the office, the larger the office, the, the, the more challenging uh, this has been. And I think we, we were able to see that over time, um, the smaller offices, obviously, if you if you haven't had an office and you start from scratch again to a degree, it also takes time until everything really runs and works yeah. out perfectly. Larger offices, um, like offices with, I don't know, 60, 70 people before, and, and those all of a sudden turned into 200 people. And, um, and that was, was challenging because pretty much to the starting point when I said I didn't want to bring people that I had worked with to manifest the culture that I have worked, worked with in uh, right. for years. Same here. So you bring in people uh, from, uh, and, and fight like teams from other agencies that you bring in. And sometimes you have to do it in order to make sure you can deliver the service that is required. But actually, in hindsight, when we looked at it, um, it didn't work because you had like culture in a culture. And, and that, that, that rarely really works out. Okay. I'm curious too, with essentially 500 decisions, right? Obviously, not everybody's going to work out. Did you have a process or a way of evaluating? Um, those decisions so that you could remove um, or move, I would think in some cases, people could just be moved to a different position um, that allowed you the flexibility to stay kind of on track. Yeah, I think uh, even before we went from 250 to 750, um, pretty much at the end of the first year, we established an evaluation system, um, which was like a quarterly evaluation. Um, so every office leader had to have once a quarter a conversation with each team member. Uh, and I always loved that because I think these 30 minute sessions, within two days, I knew exactly what was going on. And, mm -hmm. and it was easy to cross correct um, because everybody was around and we were just like, okay, now we're going to fix this. So let's do yeah. it this way moving forward. And can you please take a look here? Um, at those evaluations, there was a scoring, and, and the, initially those evaluations were per profession. Like, so the accountants had a different thing than the creatives and the strategy people, and so on and so forth. And we figured out, a, it was a lot of work um, to manage these different, different, different um, evaluation forms, but also it um, meant that we would lose on something very importantly, uh, very important which was aligning people with our values. So we, I think we did it like for three, four rounds and then said, well, that's not exactly what we need. So we basically turned it around and, and uh, went for one form uh, for everyone, no matter what your profession was, but uh, basically aligned all the questions um, with our values. And uh, actually, so the evaluation became a professional evaluation of what happened over the last three months in the context of how have you been adhering to our values and, and, and which role did they play and, and where did they help you, where, did, where didn't they help you? And, and we had this like start, start, stop, pause kind of um, um, logic, mm -hmm. uh, start doing this, stop doing that. And that was ultimately very helpful. And uh, uh, it was linked to some financial um, um, bonus that came with it, depending on your scores. And because we did those quarterly, it actually allowed us to track 
um, what was happening. And it, uh, as you said, I mean, for some, and that happens, I mean, it, it, people, some people take longer than others to find their place in, inside a firm. Yeah. And it was great to see people developing, but it was also great uh, to a certain degree um, if, if it didn't work out, you had like two or three conversations that basically suggested hmm, something's not right and we're not meeting kind of the objective that we agreed on. And that can happen anytime with anyone, but if it happens consistently, it's an, it's an issue. So um, I think the methodology, the methodology was perfect. And and, uh, and uh, I think one, one other learning from it, and that's kind of the HR element uh, to it. Um, and we talked about earlier about the, HR director needing to be able to have that profound conversation with the CFO and speak their language right. to get there. Um, very often in companies, things are happening in silence. They're isolated. Um, so there's the sales team, there's the development team, there's the uh, marketing team, there's the customer service team, there's the HR team, and so on and so forth, finance team. Um, and things are not necessarily connected. So what we were doing as we moved on and progressed with it, we were actually uh, overlaying the um, evaluation scores per office with the client service, customer service per, uh, surveys per, uh, per office. And it was interesting because you could easily see which leaders were trying to please people and, 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 and score people high um, when actually the client reviews were actually low. Uh, and uh, interestingly, we had the best client reviews in the offices where the leaders were um, the toughest on, on, on the evaluations. And, and I wasn't suggesting that that's kind of the kind of way we need to do it, but it, it, it actually, when you put them all side by side, you could see um, the differences, the different approaches of leadership. And that was a powerful trigger to right. align leaders um, to think about the, the general um, reason why we've been doing it rather than um, giving an extra bonus to a person A or person B. So it was a good one. Yeah, I like that. I like that because it's very thoughtful and thorough. Um, yeah, and, and, and usually you would have HR doing this, those surveys and, and you would have a, you would look at the, at the document and, and yeah. you, you take your findings and so on and so forth. Um, but you wouldn't necessarily uh, connect it with your customer reviews um, on an office by office space or whatever. You could do it on a product line basis, depending on what your business is. But that's the kind of thing which, which I think um, is the reason why very often HR is not uh, part of the conversation, but HR needs to get into that conversation. I can mm -hmm. only recommend for HR leaders to, if, if they're not part of that conversation, to partner with, with someone in, 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 in their firm um, to actually test something like this and, and see what happens because the benefit is there for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Ralph, this has been amazing. Um, I would love for you to be able to share with everybody where they can get your book. And I also want to comment that I've been on your website, particularly as you were speaking, uh, so I could follow because you have a really cool diagram of the soul system. So I'm going to encourage everybody to go to your website, but if you can share a book first and then where to connect with you. Yes, absolutely. So the book's Building Corporate Soul, and, and you can 
uh, obviously access the book uh, pretty much everywhere where you can buy buy books. Uh, you can download it as an audiobook, and it's obviously also as a Kindle version. And um, well, the website is very simple. It's buildingcorporatesoul.com. Um, and, and when you visit that site, obviously you get a lot of information about it. You also can see uh, about uh, the consulting and, and, and uh, seminar program that, that's, that's on the side of the team that works with me on, the, on, on those things. You can subscribe mm-hmm. to the newsletter and get a, get, a, get a sample chapter free. And I think what's really interesting, and I'm always uh, fascinated when I see those results, uh, you, which are anonymous, so don't worry, um, you can do a soul check, which is kind of a temperature test of the culture of your company. Oh, uh, I missed I think, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like ten, I think ten or twelve questions. Uh-huh. Um, so it's a pretty straightforward, it's like a five-minute thing, but uh, it gives you a sense of the areas that a the book looks at in in terms of the various chapters of the, of the behaviors, especially, um, but also kind of how you uh, or your your firm ranks, and uh, sometimes confirms what you're thinking, sometimes it's a surprise. So um, have fun with it. <laughs> Awesome. I'm going to go check that out. I missed that on the website. Now I'm really bummed. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously people can connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm always interested in, in great examples of companies that, that get it, that do it, do the right thing. And, and uh, uh, the way I always look at it is um, when CEOs or, 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 or managing directors tell me their company has got soul, I'm always a bit, uh, scared I'm, I'm like okay great that you think about it and reflect on it but actually i'm only really looking into what employees are saying about uh, culture that tells me whether the place has got soul or not um, but at least um, you you've reflected so much on it that you think it's important so that's great in the first place yes yes awesome and then also i know we didn't touch on it but you have another book um that yes, startup. yes can you just give like a quick um, synopsis of that so people know that there's like a part one and a part two yeah absolutely so so the way I, I would connect the two is building corporate soul is about the philosophy of, of leadership and, and building a culture and beyond the startup which is uh, subtitled sparking operational innovations for global growth tells the in-depth story of spark 44 and uh, shows all the programs and all the elements that we've um, developed and and uh, established in order to create that inspired community, uh, human-centric performance organization, um, pretty much. Um, and uh, yeah, it's something that, that uh, I'm very proud of to have been part of this. It's a huge chapter in my professional life. Mm-hmm. And um, as I mentioned, those uh, messages that I received, um, it, it's been great to um, to well to re- receive that feedback and, and and to me the legacy of what we had built is not uh, those 19 offices and and, and 1200 people and, and 100 plus uh, million revenue it's actually um, what came through these messages about um, what we had built with the company was so so amazing so i'm going to urge everybody to get your books and to connect with you on LinkedIn, check out the website. And Ralph, thank you so much for being on the show today. I feel like I just learned so much. So, so much value here. Thank you very much, Emmy. It's been my pleasure to be on the show. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. 
I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review, it would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. 